Hello, and welcome to Plot Trist. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reading Any Duchess Will Do by Tessa Dare. So this was published in 2013 and is book four in the Spindle Cove series. And we have actually reviewed all of these in order, so great. And we've actually really liked all of these. Yeah, I mean, it's Tessa Dare. Yes. I don't think there was a single one we didn't like. I wasn't quite as hot on A Week Should Be Wicked as you, but I didn't. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't bad. All, All right, right. jump so, into the jacket. What's a duke to do when the girl who's perfectly wrong becomes the woman he can't live without? Griffin York, the Duke of Halford, has no desire to wed this season or any season, but his diabolical mother abducts him to Spinster Cove and insists he select a bride from the ladies-in-residence. Griff decides to teach her a lesson that will end the marriage debate forever. He chooses... The serving girl. Overworked and struggling, Pauline Sims doesn't dream about dukes. All she wants is to hang up her barmaid apron and open a bookshop. That dream becomes a possibility when an arrogant, sinfully attractive duke offers her a small fortune for a week's employment. Her duties are simple. Submit to his mother's duchess training and fail miserably. But in London, Pauline isn't a miserable failure. She's a brave, quick-witted, beguiling failure, a woman who ignites Griff's desire and soothes the darkness in his soul. Keeping Pauline by his side won't be easy. Even if society could accept a serving girl duchess, can a roguish duke convince a serving girl to trust him with her heart? It's okay. Yeah, it's not bad. It doesn't live up to Tessa Dare standards. Right, like the facts are there, but the spirit isn't. And I need... I need the spirit of Tessa. Yes. Uh, it also doesn't mention that this is uh, super angst, which we will get into, but um, there's a lot, especially for Tessa Dare. Yeah, um, both of them in totally different ways. Yeah. Well, before so. we get into that, let's do our randomly generated summaries. Um, well, the summary isn't randomly generated. The, the number of words in the summary is. And this episode, the number is 34. So, Lane, take it away. Cinderella, but she is a barmaid in addition to the family punching bag, and this Prince Charming had a sex house with a gambling ring and a mistress. Can true love overcome their angst? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's true. I almost forget about the um, the gambling house and the, I mean, sorry, the sex house and the gambling ring and everything, but Griff actually appeared in the book I mentioned earlier, A Week to be Wicked. His house was the one where they took refuge and um, Minerva was suitably shocked and disturbed by the happenings in this house. Yeah, it was definitely a den of iniquity. Yes, yes. That's, that would be the word to use for it or the phrase. All right, here's, here's mine. Griffin concocts a plan to get his mother off his back about marrying. The plan fails, but Griffin learns all about true love. And we learn role-playing as yourself can be really sexy. Yeah. So I think you mentioned this several times in the other books and when we were reviewing the other books in this series, but these books get progressively angsty and progressively sexy. Yeah. There's like a direct relationship between the level of sexiness and the level of angst. So, but, so it's like, this one is peak both. Yes. Peak angst, um, peak sexiness. Yeah. This is, this is Tessa Dare goes full angst. And we have a theory about that, too, which we'll get into 
at the end of the podcast so as not to spoil the book. Yes. Um, but it's full angst. Full angst. This, this <laughs> is full angst. Yeah. Yep. So what did you think of the tropes in this book, Meg? I mean, they are, they're great. We've got the rake reformed who's now, he's ashamed, not, I don't want to say ashamed, but he's moved on from his previous life. He's just grown up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pauline will do anything for her sister, so that's the whole reason why she's doing this. So she has a sister who's developmentally delayed, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not super articulate, and it seems like she also might have some mobility issue, or at least, mm-hmm. like, stress management. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and, and so, so Pauline is very, very, very protective of her. And her whole goal in life is to own this bookshop and get her sister out of her parents' house. Yeah. So she would agree to just about anything to get the money to be able to realize her dream. So that's why she agrees to be a failure as a duchess or as right, a and so she, Duke's fiance. Yeah. She's not out to get him and actually land him. Like, this is not about marrying him. This is just about agreeing to his plan to make a thousand, what's the t- currency? Sovereigns? Thousand no. pounds, yeah. Pounds, um, which is obviously, like, more than she'd make in a lifetime. Yeah. Um, this starts out, as we've discussed, as a fake relationship in that he tells his mother he actually plans to marry her. Yes. But- and, and as we all know, fake relationships inevitably turn real in these novels, which... I am not a hater. You know, I love yeah, it. Of course. So it's um, this, this is a trope that's just particular to my life, but no one understands how knitting works. So, yeah. Tell me ever, about this. Basically, his mother is a, being bitten by the grandmothering bug. And the way that this is manifesting is she just keeps trying to knit baby hats and like, small items but they're completely like indistinguishable like they, they're they so bad no one can tell what they are and I just knitting is not that hard like by the time you'd made enough baby hats that were children's hats that you'd been donating them in secret to a foundling home for months they would at the very least be identifiable hats I mean Lane says this Lane is guys Lane is a really really good knitter um like she's really good she makes sweaters and like stuff that she actually wears to work and people are like wow that sweater's great where did you buy it and she says I made it uh Lane did try me to try to teach me how to knit one time and I miserably failed (laughs) like so bad at it it was one half hour if you spent like hours in secret locked in your bedroom doing nothing but trying to knit you would not suck at it I mean that's possible but uh, maybe I have more empathy for the duchess than you do (laughs) not that hard Oh, speaking of the Duchess, we have the marriage-minded mama who has a heart of gold. So she was a great character. She was really good. She's the kind of character where, yes, she seems overbearing at first, um, but her goal is not necessarily to get Griff married and get grandkids, which which he would like, which she would like. But her goal is she she has noticed that Griff is not acting like himself. He's not happy. He's not happy-go-lucky. He's just not you know, himself anymore. And she wants to get him out of the doldrums, really. And so this is a shock to the system, I think, is what she's trying to do. Yeah. And then also, this is sort of a Cinderella, my fair lady. Right. Exactly. So Pauline is, she's getting the lessons. 
not just to be a good duchess, but to pass for high society. Elocution. Yeah. Um, but she's, and then she's also obviously rags to riches. She's not just like a poor serving girl. She's abused. Yeah. Yes. Like so her father. Cinderella, yeah. She's it's definitely that. in need of a rescue. Yeah, definitely. So as I'm sure you've guessed, we really liked the setup. So the setup was super fun. Um, even though there was some trauma in the background. Uh, so his mom wants to get him married. He doesn't want to get married. Uh, she forces him to choose a woman from the ones assembled in a tavern. And the one he chooses is Pauline, who walks in covered in flour. Uh, and putting mud. on an apron. Oh, yeah, she's got mud, too, all over her. And he's like, basically, she is the one who uh, is obviously the worst choice to be a duchess. And so that's the one he picks. Mostly as like a challenge to his mom. But he yeah. even decides after, you know, talking to her for five minutes, he doesn't want to put another human being through this scheme. And it wouldn't be fair until he meets her father and realizes just how awful her situation is. Yeah. And he exactly. feels like if he can get her away from there temporarily and give her the means to get out permanently, he's not taking advantage of her. He's doing her a favor. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's a kind hearted sort of bet to improve her. It's not it's not the same as in My Fair Lady where she doesn't know really what's going on or, you right. know, so it's it's not it doesn't have that aspect to it, which is always appreciated. Right. But he's kind of Higgins esque. Not in his manipulation of her, obviously, because we've just said that doesn't really exist, but in his sort of cold-hearted, locked-away personality. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very true. Henry Eggins. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so what could go wrong with the scheme? Uh, of course, his mother, like we said before, her goal is not necessarily to get him married. It's to, you know, get him back into life get him living his life again mm -hmm. and so she's willing to embrace whatever crazy scheme he comes up with uh, as long as it's getting him out of the dumps really mm -hmm. uh, I, I really liked her she she gives so she embraces the scheme as well I think she has an idea that he wants her to fail he wants sorry she the duchess has an idea that Griff wants Pauline to fail mm -hmm. but the duchess just embraces it anyway Gives her lots of lessons about being a duchess, um, what to wear, as Lane talked about, the elocution lessons, the um, etiquette lessons. But when Pauline gets really frustrated and is like, well, I can never do this. One of my favorite parts of the book is when the duchess says, look, this, this is what really makes a duchess. There is exactly one quality and one quality only that makes a woman a duchess. She marries a duke. And, you know, that's basically it, you know? So it's... it's yeah, it. there's definitely, for all that there's a class conflict in this book, none of the main characters view that as a reason for them not to end up together. Yeah. And the, look, I've heard before that Tessa Dare, yeah, she, it's not exactly historically accurate. I'm sure this would have been more of an issue, but I just don't care. I love the book enough. Yeah, and I don't need every book to be a realistic depiction of class conflict. Like, sometimes it's a good conflict, and other times there's more going on in the story, and I don't need it to be accurate. And there, there's a lot more going on in the story. Like we said, yeah. it goes full angst, so um, we'll get there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, of course, they fall in love. They fall in love, yeah. So that's the, the other thing that goes wrong with the scheme. 
In spite of them both kind of having reasons they don't want to. So that's another trope, right? He's reluctant to fall in love because his heart has been broken, but not in the way you expect. And she's somebody who's always wanted to fade into the background because she's a victim of abuse. And her biggest dreams are just getting out of her father's house and supporting her sister. And so for her, the attention that being a woman in society would bring isn't like appealing. Yeah. And to him, he doesn't want to like let anybody in. So it foils not just the plans of foiling his mother's plans, but also falling in love. It's a complicating factor for both of them. And they, you know, they don't end up together right away, which I liked. Yeah. I thought it was for a book with a completely unrealistic premise and conclusion. It had played out pretty realistically. Yeah. I mean, in that the the characters were authentic, I feel like. Uh, You know, I can forgive a lot in a book if the characters are authentic. Me too. Yeah. Which is probably why we read romance novels. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's be real. We've said before, there's only so many Dukes that England has ever had. Yeah. Like, we've read more than ever existed in real life. Than ever. Yeah. So true. Uh, So there is this uh, wonderful pretty woman-esque scene where they get capitalist revenge on uh, this um, bookshop owner who's ruined Pauline. So Pauline goes in to, so as Lane said, Pauline's dream is to own a bookshop. And so she takes the time when she's in London to do some research about bookshops, check them out, see what they look like, what aspects she might like to put into place in her bookshop, what books she might like to order, what she wants the books to cost, what options are for binding, lots of different things. So she goes into a bookshop and she is unceremoniously asked to leave because she does not belong in this nice upper class bookshop. And when Griff finds out about what happened, he says, excuse me, which bookshop did this? So he takes her in. And of course, this time, since she's with the Duke of Hallford, she gets treated with kid gloves. It's it's the whole scene right here. Have some champagne while we're while I'm taking your order for these books, you know. And Griff is listing out she's going to need these books, these types of bindings, like the full gamut of while simultaneously calling out the owner for the way he previously treated Pauline. Mm-hmm. So he has the owner make a list of all the books they would like to order, uh, what the bindings will look like, all the things. And then at the end, Griff says, all right, I'll take that list. We're going to your nearest competitor and they're going to fill this order for us. Because <laughs> capitalist revenge. As you said. Right. Exactly. I don't know why. Why is capitalist revenge so sweet? Lame. It was such a fun scene. The other thing I really liked that kind of culminates in that scene is she's talked to Griff about her dream of running a bookshop. And he had suggested romance novels, basically erotic literature. And she really ran with that idea. Like, yeah, that'd be great. A lending library that had a membership fee filled with like scandalous books. Mm-hmm. And that I just, it gives me life that that's like what her dream ends up manifesting as. Yes. And of course, these erotic novels are going to have the red leather bindings. Yep. Yeah. So just just lean into it. Oh, exactly. It's so great. Uh, There are some really fun ballroom scenes. So she's supposed to be being a failure. So this is not terrible what happens to them. But they, they go into the ballroom and his button gets stuck on her bodice. His like cuff button. Yes. 
Yes, his cuff yeah. button, excuse me. It's their, their fronts are not stuck to each other. His arm is stuck to her boobs, basically. And so they have to get it unstuck. And to do so, they need to waltz out onto the balcony, obviously. Because you must find a way, reason to go to the garden at a ball. Yes. So they waltz out onto the balcony with his hand stuck to her front. So his, his elbow's up in the air. And they call it the Hungarian variation of the waltz. So really very fun. Uh, and, of course, they end up on the balcony where anything can happen. Anything can happen and, and always does in a romance novel. I don't I, have you ever read a romance novel where they went out on the balcony and didn't at least have an erotic conversation? No. Right. I mean, most of the time it's a kiss or make out, especially post a waltz. Oh, yeah. Because the waltz gets you hot and bothered, I guess. Every time. Every time. I've, Every you know, time. I have waltzed once in my life and it did not feel that way well first of all I've never waltzed so I can't speak to mm. from personal experience but I would imagine part of what made it so erotic back then was like the amount of touching you were allowed to do in a waltz surpassed any other public situation whereas mm. now I don't know if you've been to a nightclub lately <laughs> but a waltz paled in comparison to what we're allowed to do today <laughs> that and that is that is very true that's very true but um, this is a Tessadere, so we have a majorly, uh, a huge tone twist at the end. So we've noticed this in several of her books, but. I was going to say, let's pause this conversation until post-spoiler, because I don't know how to start talking about it and not. Okay. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll go into the what the tone twist is when we go past the spoiler barrier. Okay, okay. But so just so you know, this book, we have said it before, this book goes Full angst, full angst, and it's major tone twist um, because basically the whole first three quarters of the book is really funny. It's just really funny um, farce. Uh, yeah, and she's right? in a bad situation, but the whole point is they're saving her from it. Exactly, uh, and, and then the end. She never has a fear him. that he's not going to save her. Right. right. So she's got to save him as well from something, but we don't find out what that thing is until the end. He's got a secret room and there's a whole lot of things that it could be. And it's but full it's, angst. It's not what you think it's going to be. It's not what you think it's going to be. It's not I what I thought I it was going to be. I don't know if I had any thoughts, but damn. Um, did anything offend you about this book? Mm, nothing really offended me. There's some trigger warnings, but uh, I will say I would have appreciated a little bit of a, a different way of writing some of the dialogue. So we're told yes. that Celine has a really hard time speaking correctly. So she has to take the elocution lessons and things like that. Um, but it's not written in the dialogue. So, for example, she would say, I haven't felt that way ever or, you know, whatever. And the Duchess says, wow, you said you use, you said haven't with an H. And I'm like, well, why didn't you write it then before in the text? So I would know that this was different. I don't know. It was, it was tough for me to get the gist that she wasn't speaking correctly. That said, I often find it really hard to read phonetically. It's this And trip. so a lot of times when accents are written, like it just ends up feeling like a chore for me to get through what they're actually trying to say. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely it's, true. It's a line. I, I understand why she made the choice, but it was tough for me to have gotten the feeling that she was at the end of the book, Pauline's 
diction had had improved so much when at the beginning it was written exactly the same from the beginning of it. it had also been like six days so any and all improvement <laughs> was probably fictional um <laughs> we talked about this trigger warning abuse yeah trigger abuse she's used by her father and then trigger warning major angst that we'll get there we'll get there all right how sexy was this book this book is so sexy because oh my God. Hot. it's so hot it was so good it was yeah. so good yeah so he's a notorious rake and scoundrel who has been living chastely since his great tragedy tm and she is you know a village serving girl who's had some tumbles Mm-hmm. But nothing that really rocked her world. Yeah, yeah. And right. their chemistry is sizzling. And they both realize they kind of have no reason not to go for it. Yeah. So they do. And, you know, I mean, this is Tessa Dare. So, you know, she knows how to write this stuff. But she goes, I mean, she takes it to the next level in this it, book. It, what is the higher than 11? She turns, I mean, <laughs> she turns it up. She turns it up. This book is turned up. This is Chelsea Dare turned up to 11. Yeah. And she's usually a 10. So. Yeah. She yeah. she does. She outdoes herself. Yes. Yeah, she does. She does. So their first encounter is in the library, which, as we have spoken about, is the sexiest room in any ducal mansion. Yes. Even, like, sometimes books will have, like, intentionally sexy rooms. That are not normal, like pool room or I don't know what else. But this is hotter. Library yeah, I, is hotter. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean we pool by pool room, she doesn't mean the billiards room. She means the indoor pool that I mean uh, both. Well, yeah, either one. Billiards room or an auditorium. Doesn't matter. I, I just recently had a historical romance with a sauna in it, Lane. Still don't care, I would rather have it be in a library. Oh, a hundred percent. Library is have the, you than all seen of atonement? <laughs> so guys libraries are the sexiest if you have the money to have a library in your house that's where you're going to be getting it on all the time yeah no question so anyway first time is in the library and he doesn't want to um how should i put this he doesn't want to go all the way lane he's you know he knows that he can't give all of himself yeah you know so and he just feels like that's not fair to her yeah and so what does he do, Meg? Well, he, he just has to take care of her, Lane. <laughs> and um, he does. And there is no reciprocation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really good. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then because this is a Tessa Dare and she is not a one-and-done kind of author. Oh, no. Thank God. Thank the Lord for Tessa Dare. <laughs> Thank saw, the romance novel gods. <laughs> I saw Sarah McLean retweet something that uh-huh. during this time period because I, I, this is going to air pretty quickly. But um, it, it was somebody saying, "I'm not here for these slow burn romances. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Move it along, people." <laughs> Basically, yes. like this is not the time to take it slow. Uh uh-uh, uh, this is not. I'm sorry, this is not the time to read Victoria Alexander. No. This is the time for Tessa Dare. It's your time to shine. Get yourself some Tessa Dare. Get yourself some Elizabeth Hoy. Maybe a little Sarah McLean thrown in there. That's what you want to read right now, guys. 
Yeah, no. Um, especially if you're single and home alone and aren't allowed to go on dates. <laughs> I, I did see something else somewhere that said, you know, in this time of the global pandemic, now uh, it, it's going to have to turn into like a, a Jane Austen situation where you're going to be writing each other like long letters. And I'm not here for that, especially because like we all know that no one accurately represents themselves online. And I don't even mean that as in like they're misleading you on purpose. No, it's it's very true. It's true. like you're just not capable of giving an accurate representation of yourself through text. No. Whether it's your pictures aren't quite right or like, I don't know, I'm a pretty effusive person. I think text, I'm very careful about what I put in writing. I don't like to be misinterpreted. And I think I come off as very staid. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, it's not that it's like I'm intentionally trying to be misleading. It's just that I don't want to be misinterpreted. Yeah. So so what you're saying is when you are talking by text, you put a period at the end of your sentence, which everyone thinks is people being mean. But when they meet you in real life, they're like, wait a minute, what happened? Well, it's just like I put I hate emojis. Yeah. (laughs) I'm talking to somebody I don't know because I'm like, I don't know what this means. Like, I'm I'm a really bad texter when I'm not talking to somebody I know really well. And so this whole like online dating thing does not work for me. I'm the person who like, if you don't insult me or send me a picture of your dick in like the first four messages, I just want to meet you for a drink. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's a total non sequitur. Um, okay, so what moving, happens? Moving along. In, what happens in their next sex scene? Oh my God. So I, this was so hot that I referenced it in my 34 word summary. You did. It is so hot. So basically they, they engage in a little role play. Yes. But what roles are they playing? They're just playing themselves. And yes. somehow it is extremely hot. And if you're wondering if this scene also takes place in a library, no, it's in his study on a desk. Which is second hottest room in Ducal Mansion. Yes. That's why I'm pointing it out. Yeah. Uh, so there are things that happen in this scene that I would usually not be into at all, but right? that like worked for me in this context. So, like, ego during sex is not the hottest thing. Like, say my name, say my name does not do it for me. At one point, though, he lists all of his names and all of his titles. Yeah. And it was wonderful. Yeah, it was so hot. It was so hot. But, yeah, I mean, in real life, would I be into that? In this In real life, I'm not a poor serving girl desperate to get out of her dad's house. I don't know. Also true. Uh, and also, like, I am a peer and I'm, you are my everything. I don't, sure, go for it. Right. I will say the other thing. So I said it was role play. And the thing is, it, it's sort of role play because she never has been his servant. Right? Yeah. I mean, technically, she's in his employ right now in the sense that he's paying her for this scheme, but like only in the most tenuous way. Exactly. And so it's very. She's like the saucy serving wench. That's the role she's playing. Which, again, in real life, if she were actually a saucy serving wench at a tavern, eh. but the fact that they're playing it up and it's this role play makes it extremely hot. Yes. So they're playing with the power differential. They're acknowledging it. And it's the only, I know I've said this 20 million times, the only word I can use is it is so hot. It is hot, guys. Yes. Um, and there's there is another scene. 
There are several more, but there is one more that is very explicit because Tessa knows what people want. Yes, there is one more. And this one, I quite enjoyed it because it's, so Lane has a theory, which is that if birth control is mentioned, then you know that it will fail or be forgotten. Right, like ahead of time. Like if, if, you know, they're having sex and the guy pulls out and they don't talk about why, like, that's fine. That she's not going to get, like, that's all fine. But if they have a discussion about how we like must use protection, I can't afford to get pregnant or whatever, you know, she's going to get pregnant. For some, it fails or it gets forgotten. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So in this scene, they're working through some of the trauma, which I know we still haven't gotten to yet, but they're working through the trauma and they, his trauma has to do with erotic. It's the least erotic thing in the history it, of time. Why it is the least I? erotic thing. Uh, it it really is. We're, we're gonna as soon as the sexiness is over, we're gonna get there. Um, but basically, they've decided that they want to form a life together, and she they mutually decide that he's going to not do anything that that could prevent pregnancy. So they're gonna they're not trying for a baby. They're not they're not TTC. They're not trying to conceive, but they're not. They've decided that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, and this is all something that is discussed mid-coitus. Yes. <laughs> and so the fact that it's discussed means that he's not going to be able to complete the act the way they're talking about. Because someone bursts in on them and he gets into an immediate altercation involving swords. Involving swords, yeah. And not euphemistic swords. No, no. Real swords. It's like a fencing bout. It was naked fencing bout. It was really fun. <laughs> it was great. It was really great. Um, yeah. I mean, this this book is super sexy. So the I only thing I'll say, yeah, we are. No, no. So be warned, all ye who listen past this moment. We're, we're going to explain what full angst is. Yeah. So for the record, I like this book. I can't say I love this book because it was too angsty. It's, it's in that super- like. Angst. It was well done angst and I felt sad for everyone. Like, I don't want to relive this again. I think book three is probably my sweet spot in terms of the balance of angst and sexiness. Mm-hmm. But the angst, full angst now means no turning back, guys. Seriously, turn it off if you don't want to spoiled. Uh-huh. Meg? Full angst is a dead baby. <laughs> yep. Yes. So during his days as a carouser, up a curtisan. Yeah. Italian opera singer who was his mistress. Right. And she was like, I'm an opera singer mistress, don't want a baby. And he was like, I want the baby, have the baby and leave it with me and leave. So she does. And the baby lives for like six days. Mm-hmm, for like a week. And so the secret room is the baby's nursery. Uh-huh. And not only did he tell no one he was an expectant father, he then told no one the baby died. So he told he, no one that he had that he was expecting a baby. He told no one that they, he had a baby. He told no one that the baby died. So he's been keeping been like all of a this. A year. Yeah. A year. Yeah. He's been keeping this all inside of him. And it, when it finally comes out, it's like, it's, it's really sad. It's really sad. I definitely cried. Oh, I mean, I have no soul, but <laughs> it was just so much. And it was also, usually I hate it when there's a secret that I should like be let in on based on POV. But in this case, it was so sad mm-hmm. that had this colored the whole book, it would not have been fun at all. Yeah. 
Well, and part of it is that they try to do this in other books where, oh, like they, they're thinking about the secret, but they're like, I don't want to think about it. But in this case, I actually believed it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really sad. And then, I mean, I cried at, at a couple of points. So I, 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 I didn't cry just because I found out there was a dead baby. Right. That was sad. But I cried because he finally told his mother about it. And that was so sad because she has been begging for him to have children. So this whole, this whole year of mourning that he's been mourning this child, his mother has been on him about having kids. Have kids. You'll love having kids. Kids are going to be great. And so it's just like this whole horrible set of circumstances. It's awful. It's so awful. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's well-written. It's so, it's well-written because it affected me so deeply. Yes. But it's, it's not easy to read. The one thing I'll give Tessa props for, I mean, like we said, this was well done, but the characters don't end up together immediately upon the resolution of all their secrets coming out. And I actually really liked that. Like he mm-hmm. clearly had some stuff to work through yes. and she really wanted to exert the independence she'd earned. Yes. And yeah. so I think for both of them, the fact that they kind of got the space from each other to achieve those things independently before they had their happily ever after. Yeah. And, and I, I, like, have, I have but, to say, I really liked the denouement. So if, yeah. these books, you know, we've got some grand gestures going on. I really liked his grand gesture. Me too. So I think, and especially because from the reader's perspective, they don't spend that many pages apart. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're living through the parting. You're only getting the quick snippets of them coming into their own before yes. they get back together. I thought it was really well constructed. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I really liked it. And it's just very, very satisfying as well. Yes. And this is, I think, the end of the Spindle Cove series minus some novellas. No, there's one more. <gasps> oh. You want to start a scandal. Okay. Which combines Spindle Cove and Castles Ever After. Oh, so we have to get through the Castles books. Yeah, which I have. I think we actually may have already been gotten through them. Because it's, um, I don't think we did podcasts on all of them, but I think we've read them. So one was uh, Romancing the Duke. Yeah, I read that. And um, When a Scott Ties a Knot. Read that. And then, oh, I don't know if you read the next one. Um, say yes to the Marquess. No, I think I have. Yeah, I think you may have read it. And so then okay. the next one is just, so then we will be finished with the two previous series. Okay. Well, in that case, you guys know what you have to look forward to. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, um, now you know, you also know what full angst is, which it's may dead spoil... Baby. Uh, is dead baby because we we already had we had Sarah McLean full angst with Day of the Duchess, mm-hmm. um and so now you will know if we ever say that this is a, a specific author gone full angst, you know exactly what that will mean. There's a dead baby. There's a dead baby in there, so that's probably good. It'll be your, your trigger warning. Yeah, because um, it's it's hard thing, and, and usually I feel like when there's a dead baby, it's telegraphed early enough in the text that it doesn't feel like as major a spoiler. Mm-hmm. But here it is definitively the spoiler. It is, yes, it is. It is. Uh, but overall, I recommend this book. I recommend this book too. Super hot. Um, yeah. Super angst. Uh, it's it's pretty good, Tessa Dare. So enjoy. 
Thank you so much for listening.